so that then I read the, the function of the orgasm. And that was the book that really opened, opened up completely new for me to autonomy and the development or right work. I, I don't know if there are words to describe the, the feeling I, I had when I could see what the right was talking. Uh, and it's a, a feeling of deep contact, a contact with life, and it, it gives such a boost to uh, the sense of who you are, it also promotes the, the contact with, with nature, with other people. So you, know, you feel like you're really a part of something deep uh, that is beyond your control. Welcome to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast brought to you by the ACO. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Each month, we feature a case presentation, interview, or discussion by one or more of our doctors who practice a different kind of psychiatry. We're interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at organomy.org. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. If you'd like to be entered into a raffle for a chance to win an issue of the Journal of Ergonomy for yourself or to send to a friend, you can do so by leaving a review, either through Apple or Amazon, and letting us know by email. We will be setting the winner issue 48-2, which includes the articles Life Without Medication by Dr. Dale Rosen, Tourette's Syndrome as a Symptom of Character, by Dr. Phil Heller, and There Must Be More to Life by Dr. Peter Christ. If you're interested in attending one of our webinar presentations, you can meet the doctors and join in on the discussion afterwards. You can connect with us and learn more at organomy.org or a different kind of psychiatry.com. This episode features an interview with Salvatore Iacobello, MD. Wilhelm Reich's books, the mass psychology of fascism, and the function of the orgasm impacted Dr. Iacobello so profoundly that after reading them, his life would forever be changed. I hear from Dr. Iacobello about how he first learned of Wilhelm Reich and his work, and what drove him to pursue learning more about ergonomy and becoming a medical ergonomist. Dr. Iacobello, I'm excited to talk with you today. I'm curious to hear about how you ended up where you are. How did you become a medical ergonomist? How did you learn about Reich and ergonomy? So maybe you could just let me and the listeners know, how did it all start? Well, uh, you know, I think that that's a very, a very good uh, aspect uh, of my experience, I say, to look at. You know, and uh, I think it's interesting you say, how did you become an ergonomist? And uh, I tell you, 
you know, to bear it has been a, has been a long road. But uh, at the same time, the things have been going fast, and now uh, I'm in a place that I was not even imagining at the time when, uh, for the first time, I thought maybe I would like to be an economist. So. And that was something I would not even dare to, to think in those terms because I would think, well, is it, is it ever going to be possible for me to, to become a, an ergonomist? So it was something very far away ah. uh, in my mind. But uh, I think it all goes back when, when I was a teenager and uh, I started high school. I was my second year of high school. As you know, Dr. Barrett, I, I come from Italy. The high school system in Italy is different from uh, the way it is now. Uh, it is here. And so in Italy, after middle school, you have to decide what kind of high school you want to go. So they that's creates some commitment in some way. So, so you have to have an idea of where you're going at the end of middle school. Yes, you you have to have an idea of where you go at the end of middle school. So uh, sometimes you don't have it, but if Do, you Dr. want, Yuki, well, I didn't know at the end of high school and not even until middle of college what I wanted to do. So I can't imagine. Right. Well, the, the, now the system in Italy has changed a, a little bit. You know, since when I've been here, there have been some reforms. But uh, the way it was uh, in those days, it, it was it was different. Uh, more or less, it, it went back to before the war. That was the school system. So they. In some way, you you had to choose some kind some kind of school, but the major orientation where either you would go to a school that would prepare you for university, or you would go to a trade school of some kind. So, well, I decided to go to a school that would prepare me for the university. So they were in my second year. I I started to meet the students who were older than me. They actually were not even students who were going to my same school, but they were from my hometown. So I started to meet uh, uh, mostly university students who were uh, politically involved and also were studying uh, philosophy or literature. So uh, I was spending time with them because well, my situation was uh, at that time a little difficult because the uh, students of my own age, most of them uh, had gone to professional schools. I see. So I, I found myself a little bit isolated. I, I couldn't relate to them very much. So they, uh, I got to meet these older students who, uh, of course, spending time with them, I will learn about the, uh, different uh, uh, issues, more intellectually challenging 
issues. So the students are, I I knew where mostly students who were left left political spectrum. Uh -huh. Now so some of them away in the Italian Communist Party, or others were even more to the left of the Communist Party. So one one evening we were walking and talking, and I hear for the first time somebody saying, "Well, you you know what happened to uh, William Reich? This." daughter, a psychoanalyst, who ended up in, in America and he ended up dying uh, in prison, but he, he was uh, he was actually so advanced that he was talking about this life energy and he had discovered what the prana was. That was the extent of, of it. You know, the, what I heard, although then later on I learned about uh, some of Reich's books that uh, were going around uh, in Italy in that time. This was uh, probably was 1973. Now it's a long time, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> that's my, my reflection about that. You know, it looks to me like it was yesterday, but it was in 1973 or most. So there were these older boys and girls talking about philosophy and, and politics, and they just mentioned, oh, you know what happened to Reich. Well, the, the, the discussion was in general uh, politically involved. Uh -huh. and, you know, it, so, yeah, the, somebody mentioned about that because these were people who I think they... Then they mentioned the Reich's book, uh, Psycho Mass Psychology of Fascism. Hmm. So I found that interesting. My situation was uh, I wanted to learn, I wanted to know, uh, I wanted to read and uh, improve myself. That's what was uh, at that time. Mm -hmm. So then I eventually, uh, well, I thought, well, maybe uh, I should read this book eventually. Well, I didn't do it right away, but uh, eventually I bought the book. And then I started to read it, and that kindled my interest hmm. uh, to go into reading other books. I think the, what mass psychology of fascism Mostly, the first thing I read was the introduction. I found it great. So then I think I, I must have put the, the book down. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe sometime later, I was able to finish the, the whole book. Do you recall, Dr. Iacobello, what it was about that book that stood out to you? Well, I think what stood out to me, I and I still remember, uh, today was, I think, the, the description of the bioemotional or psychic structure that Reich gives uh, in the introduction when he talks about uh, the different layers of uh, the human 
uh, emotional stature. So you, uh, are you referring to like the core and character yeah, and facade? Referring to the to the social layer, layer, uh, the superficial layer, to the middle layer, the alma, uh, equivalent to Freud unconscious, uh-huh. and also. Uh, I'm referring to the core, you know, that's the heavy layer, the deeper layer, the core. That description really got me. Now, this reading was not really falling on on the heel of somebody who didn't know that much about psychology or psychoanalysis, because before I got to that, I actually had been starting to read Freud or some other uh, psychology books. So in some way, I I could understand Reich because I've been reading Freud. Mm. And uh, I I remember reading uh, The Interpretation of Dreams. That actually was one of my first books I got as a, a teenager. Wow. The interpretation of dreams, and maybe uh, what's the, the other book of Freud that is uh, uh, psychopathology of everyday life? Oh yes. So they, so they, I had, uh, and maybe I even read the, uh, I, I read already the three essays on uh, sexuality. So I had a clear, yeah, I had some base. Now, of course, I want my understanding of these books was limited at that time. I was, I was starting high school, second year, third year. Although the school I went, being the, the classical school, uh, I, I would be introduced at school to the humanities, the study of philosophy by the third year, a lot of history, a lot of literature. So I, the school was providing me with those tools to be able to move into other readings. And now the thing is, my, so in this school, I don't know how it's now, but in those days, the first two years, you will have a, a main professor. The professor being I, you know, a teacher who has a, a university degree. So, and it was, you will have a teacher who will teach you uh, Italian, classic Greek and classic Latin, and also history and geography. They will be under the same teacher. Oh, wow. So this teacher who really made a, a huge impact, I think, uh, in my life, I probably I will not be where I am now for these teachers. This tells you how important teachers can be in the life yes. of a student. It's amazing. I need to be very thankful for any having these teachers. What is it exactly that the teacher um, did for you? How did he help? Well, she, she, was, she, I was not that strong in. Uh, uh, writing Italian. Italian, it's difficult in some way. Maybe for me, it was more difficult than English. Because for us, Italian is not really the first language. When you go to school, it's like you 
most of the time you use dialecting in your uh, everyday life. So you mean slang or? No, it's not slang. It's dialect. Dialect Italian dialects. Uh, they can be considered the different languages. I didn't realize it was that. Um, the differences was that stark. Yeah, it is. In fact, I, I'm uh, from the town of Catania that is in Sicily, and we uh, we have the Sicilian language, and actually, it's also a written language, and that works. Of poetry and literature written in Sicilian. And, ah. and nowadays they are trying to resuscitate it. Uh, so, th this teacher, what she would tell me was that if I want to learn and I wanted to be good, I had to read. And read. And read. That's <laughs> what the way to do it. Yeah, sorry. It's, I would read. I would buy books and whatever and they would read. You know, I, I was I was doing that. So she she made a, a huge difference from the point of view. That's where my interest for reading came. Uh, well, I mean, what, what, was she motivating? Was she patient? What was it that stood out? I think well, you no, know, she was a tough teacher, and the, on the other side, I I was scared of her. She was tough. <laughs> was no nonsense. You, uh -huh. you, you don't you didn't mess around. I see. Uh, with these teachers, were very old school. So, no, what was I think it was I wanted to learn and I wanted to be good, so I would listen. So even with all these difficulties, you know, I still would keep at it, and that's that's actually the thing she she replaced me eventually for having a strong will and pursuing. Ah. Even the, uh, with difficulties and challenges. Wonderful. So that's that was. The, but going back to my first knowledge of Reich and ergonomy, that's that's was what happened. Then later on, I think the the book I read that made a huge difference when I was a little older, maybe seventeen, in my fourth year of high school. Uh, so that then uh, I read the, the function of the organs, and that was the book that really opening opened up completely new for me to autonomy and the development or right work. I, I don't know if there are words to describe the the feeling I, I had when. I could see what the right was talking, uh, and it's a, a feeling of deep contact, contact with life, and the, it gives us such a boost to uh, the sense of who you are. It also promotes the the contact with, with nature, with other people. So you, know, you feel like you're really a part of something deep uh, that is beyond your control. Yeah. So that that's I think was then what motivated me because uh, the function of the, of the orgasm also has has a lot of, of biology and medicine, and then there is the following by the the cancer biopathy. I had 
in the same school, you, you study some biology and you study some physics, even if the main focus is uh, uh, humanities. So I, I could in some way uh, uh, understand what Reich was talking about. And I, at that point, I think the, at that point I started to think that I should go into medical school. Because it looks like my interest was crystallizing toward the philosophy and physics and uh, what is called the epistemology, uh, the study of the philosophy of science. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, at that point, I, I said, well, I should really, I, if I want to pursue this kind of work, and uh, maybe I want to become an economist, uh, I should become a doctor. So, but that was a big thing. I was, uh, I was somebody who wouldn't even put a foot in a hospital. Not that I was, I was not the, the kid who would be scared of blood or what. Many times I would cut myself for what because, uh, I, I would deal with it, but yeah, I was afraid of going to to the hospitals, going to visit somebody. I didn't want to know anything about the doctors. I was, I was scared. So, but then eventually uh, I felt well. Uh, I can do it. So when I finished the high school, uh, I went into medical school. But that's still uh, everything was very vague because you, I really didn't know what uh, what would be the way to get uh, into uh, becoming a medical economist because I knew I could go into psychiatry, but going into psychiatry doesn't really, uh, lead you necessarily to becoming a medical hormone therapist. Right. And plus, in Italy, psychiatry was very much neurological oriented. I see. Well, it was up to, let's say, up to the late 70s, there was really no distinction in Italy, especially in my university, there was no distinction between neurology and psychiatry. Ah. And then there was also the stigma, well, why would you want to go into psychiatry and not really be a real doctor? You, you want to be a real doctor. That's what something that, that bothered me. So, wow, psychiatry was no different than neurology, and yet you're still called not a real doctor, so you got it on both ends. <laughs> yeah, right. It was, it was yeah, yeah, that, that's... That's how it was. Did, did psychiatrists do therapy back then in Italy? No. No. Uh, in Italy, uh, psychiatry, that's why it developed along with the, the neurology uh, side. So uh, psychotherapy or psychoanalysis had, had never been considered uh, having, as, uh, having any say. Mm. On, uh, from the point of view of medical or scientific validity. Uh, so it was really all uh, an unknown world. And it was how, how, unknown when it comes to ergonomy. Well, well, what do you do for to become a medical ergonomist? You know, they, you go to the school, to the medical ergonomy school, or the specialty in the medical ergonomy. Yeah. Well, um, 
Did, did you know anybody in their own therapy or, or anybody? No, I, did, I didn't know. I didn't know anybody in their own therapy. Uh, I had the friends who, who, my group of friends were people who also, they knew about the right. They were interested. We, we discussed right. We were doing readings. However, we really didn't have uh, any real knowledge of uh, people who are in therapy or of therapists. Like practical yeah. knowledge experience. Yeah, practical knowledge. So it was very much your theory, but also later on, I, uh, I came to learn, it was clear that there were some groups in Italy who were uh, more, who were doing right work, but they were more bioenergetic, therapists. So then later on, uh, uh, actually, there, I came to know there was some, somebody in Catania who was, but he was a psychologist. He was uh, in some way trained or doing bioenergetic uh, therapy, but uh, I never, I never met this person, or I never knew that much, but I think my friend, I, I may have gotten to meet him. And then that's when he, he found out about the, the journal. Uh, that, the journal uh, of Organomy? Well, they, they done in a version that, that was being published by Dr. Camarella. So because there was a time uh, I think in the late 70s, so you also in the middle 80s, Dr. Camarella was in Rome, was uh, publishing the Italian edition of, of the Journal of Economy. So uh, before that, I've been doing some, some readings of publications uh, of people who are, uh, you know, who were bioenergetic therapists. There, there were some publications in Italy. Uh, there was one, was a, uh, the name was Pulsazione, meaning pulsation. So I got one issue. I read something about it, uh, it really didn't, didn't excite me. I, that's one I don't think I ever finished it reading. I could see the difference between a, a reading right work and what was in these in this articles. To me, it didn't look like it was the, the same thing. So I, I would feel disappointed. I see. So that, also, there, there would be disappointment there because, well, look, these people are not really doing rights work. So then when I, I saw the, the journal published by Dr. Camarella, oh wow, that was, I said, what did, this is, this is the real. This is it? This is it, this is the real work of right. So I got all the issues, I, I would read them regularly until they were published. So that, that's, I think that was the central moment that really, now, now I had in some way some connection. So did you reach just, out to him? Did you reach out to the doctor? No, I never reached out to him. I just read the journal. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, he's, he was in Rome. You know, there is the distance, uh -huh. the distance factor. And then, you know, you, 
to be in therapy, you need to have money. That's that was my other goal: be in medical school and have a job that would eventually give me the income to to be able to to be in therapy. So they there would not have been a, any way that I could have afford therapy uh, in those days. I see. Oh, the distance and the money, and, I, and then I, I would tell my parents, oh, I want to go for, for therapy. They would think, What would they what, think? What's that? You know, they would think, That's they would think I'm going crazy. They would think, uh. You know, that's where they in both, in both directions they, they would worry because they would say, Oh, well, why? Although my parents may not even had an idea what what therapy is about, no, they didn't. You know, that was that was not part of the of the world. So it wasn't part of, of the culture in Italy. You know, now I think there there is a lot of interest in therapy in Italy, actually more than in this country, probably. It was just foreign to, to that area. It was to foreign. You would, the, nobody would go to see a psychiatrist then in the first place unless they, they would take you away in a state jacket. So what, what did they do if they were depressed or anxious or...? or? Well, those were not considered as uh, medical problems. But what did people do? They, they would do nothing. They would just deal with it. Ah. There be there's the different ways of dealing. See, they, they these are not even now. These problems are not part. Of, when I go to Italy, I see it. they are mm. not part of the knowledge of the consciousness of people. They, mm. I mean, here you hear people talking about bipolar disorder. What? But there, nobody knows about that. That's people. They live their life. They in one form or another. Uh -huh. uh, you know, there may be a lot of, of acting out. And I also think the community, at least the way it was before, we, we provide people an outlet to deal with, with their own emotions. So, I see. So people will have the opportunity in some way to to talk to other people, they will go nice. out. They they will have an outlet. You know, I think so. You you could be depressed at home, but then you, you will go out, meet people, do, do things, and that's something that is was easily available. Anxiety and depression very much gets expressed through physical symptoms. Mm. So people. They express their uh, anxiety, they, they suffering through multiplicity of complaints. This might be chest pain or belly pain or... Yeah, right. Or any other, right. So that psychosomatic manifestations. I see. So they... So in fact, how do I know about that? Because... Well, I started to practice as a, a family doctor in Italy. So I would see a lot of these, I would see a lot of complaints and symptoms that really didn't have a, 
area base that couldn't really be interpreted or a cause could be found. Mm. So it would take, you know, especially women, uh, I remember that, so they would bring these complaints to you and then you know, they would go through examination and tests, but there would be never a solution, but if the, the family doctor would say anything, but he, the thinking will not be based on terms of anxiety or depression, but will be based in terms of, well, you are, you are a nervous person. You, you, you think too much, you need to relax, but there will not be the recommendation of going to see the psychiatrist. You know, you had to consider in those days, there were no SSRIs. So you would, nobody really would feel uh, wanting to, to start the patient on an antidepressant to the risk of uh, tricyclics. So that was seen uh, as a family physician to start the tricyclic was seen like a, a huge step forward oh. with the body. So for the audience, what you're saying is they didn't have Prozac and Lexapro that are much more tolerable to the average patient. We used the the older medicine, the tricyclic antidepressants that had a much more um, side effects and difficulty with management in terms of how it affected your heart or or so forth. Yeah, Yeah. and also it was, uh, you you wouldn't feel comfortable to diagnose depression I, as a family physician, so, and because people wouldn't go to the psychiatrist in the first place, so. So nobody did it. (laughs) Right. As I said, unless somebody would be brought to the psychiatrist due to uh, serious problems. I see. Suicide, you mean? Not as much suicide. That uh, wasn't much of a problem in the consciousness of people in those days, but more uh, acting strange or bizarre, or violent behavior coming out of control. I see. So, Dr. Yacobello, we kind of fast forwarded to beginning medical school to practicing as a family doctor. During that period of medical school and in graduation, were you considering going into psychiatry? Were you following oh, up with ergonomy? Well, once uh, I, I think the, the time I got uh, to read the, the Italian version of, of the Journal of Ergonomy, the, the name was Scienza Ergonomica, meaning ergonomic science. So that was when I was on my third year of medical school. Now, in Italy, medical school is six years. So the other thing I did actually, before I started medical school, I actually, I went to meet in Rome a psychologist who was, who had been doing bioenergetic work and his name was De Marchi. And he was considered as one of the, of the first introducer of Reich and the bioenergetic therapy in Italy. So I went to meet him to, to ask for advice, not because I was thinking to, 
to get into therapy. I, I couldn't, as I say. Right. So I met him briefly. He indeed suggested me, he said, yes, you have to go to medical school. So that's, that's I think, that's was something good indeed. He actually encouraged me to go into medical school if I wanted to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, we met for 15 minutes. Uh, I think I found him superficial in some way, not really that much interested in connecting with me. And he was the one who actually had published that, that uh, journal, Pulsatio uh, on it, so, and that was published not for that long. Then they stopped the publishing. So then I was in medical school. I had this idea that maybe I would like to, to get into agronomy, wondering if how that was going to happen, and also wondering, you know, did I have personally what it takes to become an agronomist. So that, so practically what I was isolated in those days, I didn't really have uh, that many people I could share my interest uh, in right with, because also those friends who initially had introduced me to write, then we, in some way, we were not that much in touch any longer, and they also were not that much interested. Uh, They moved on. They they moved on, yes, they, they, they moved on. So, basically, it sounded, yeah. It sounded, Dr. Iacobello, like you took a, took a big leap of faith, you know? Yes, in some way, yes, it was a, a big a big leap of faith. And uh, But there were these, uh, I'll call them road posts, that it gave me the motivation and the encouragement Mm -hmm. also they gave me the reality base to uh, to work uh, to achieve my goal so the the next one was when in 1984 the college organized an ergonomic conference in europe in munich which college the american college of economy i see I think through, through Dr. Camarella, they, that conference was organized, uh-huh. and uh, I was able to attend it. Yeah, that was something that I really wanted to do, and if I would not have done it, it would really be let down for, for me. So I went to the conference, it was in 1984, and it was in Munich. Germany. So we were there for one week, and that was when uh, I actually met uh, Dr. Camarella for the first time, and then I, I, I met uh, Dr. Konya. He was one of the speakers. As well, uh, there was uh, Myron Sharaf, and there was uh, Dr. Schwartzman. So what was this experience like for you? Oh, it was great because for the first time I was hearing people who were talking about economy. And they 
seemed to know what they were talking about. Yeah. So you, it was really enlightening. I felt like, well, this is the place where I belong. Wonderful. This is, this is really great. Dr. Camarella, I didn't speak to him that much, but that gave me the opportunity to come to know the college. Uh, so, and know that there was a possibility to, to get training and how to, to pursue it. Uh-huh. You weren't, you weren't alone as much anymore. Yeah, I, I wasn't alone as much any, any longer, yeah. Yeah, so then uh, at that point I was able to get the, the Journal of Ergonomy and other publications uh, in English, published by the, the college. Now, my, my English was, was not that great. So, is, is, is learning English uh, standard when you were going through you know, school? They said to study, uh, to learn English. Not, they, they give you, you can take, well, in my school, the high school I went, you had English for the first two years. I see. Then they, they drop it out. It's, uh, it's only the next three years are mostly focused on. That's how Spanish was for me. You, you, you can take it a few years, but then it, it's not part of it. Then uh, in medical school, you, you don't take it. I see. English. Although I took courses on my own, private courses. So uh, I had to struggle to do the reading, right? So, but, you know, eventually uh, I kept improving. What was the step that, that, that got you into the direction of becoming a medical ergonomist from after graduating medical school? Well, the main step was, because now here there was, uh, there was another step, there was a huge step, probably the most difficult I have done, because up to that point, I really had not done anything. I had been reading or talking to people and try to, to expand my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And uh, learning medicine and uh, become a doctor. But now, well, the, the main obstacle if was. If I can uh, interrupt what, you for a moment, that is a big step. <laughs> well, it wasn't for me a big step. <laughs> you know, I, I never was concerned about that. I, I saw that as, well, that's, uh, this is something I do. That, that's, that's never concerned me. Uh -huh. In some way, that's what my parents were surprised about that. They, when I expressed the desire of going to medical school, they, they didn't know what to make of that. You know, it was, but yeah, I never had a doubt about it that I was going to. I never had a doubt about it, but they, they never told me that <laughs> you know, they, they didn't know what was going to They were happen. in the dark. Yeah, right. But they, but they supported me to the end because they, they wanted me to do that. So, so that that wasn't a problem. So now the major problem was how to get to the United States ah. and get the training. Now I, I was starting to work as a as a doctor, so my earning capacity was still low. Even you know, I cannot be in the United States if. Uh, I'm working, and I need to work because I didn't have uh, much resources. You know, essentially, you know, my, my, 
my father was uh, coming from generations of farmers, uh, or Italian farmers or peasants. That's that's what's uh, what's in our blood. Uh, all my cousins, or the people who were working the land. The, 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 what was the land passed down from generation to generation? Some land, yes. Some land, yes. You know, by the also, you know, some land would be bought. You know, that's always what you will work hard to be able to buy, to buy land. I see. So we didn't have much, much means. You know, I was, I had to really be, I uh, very aware of my lifestyle. Not that I, I would want to spend uh, money, a lot of money, but I, also I didn't have money to throw away. Right, right. So eventually, we uh, the idea came up that the best way to do it would be for me to try to get into a residency in the United States because I was researching how can I do this, what can I do to work as a doctor in the United States. So it comes up that you you have to do a residency, but first you have to pass this exam. At that time, the exam was the ECFMG. So I knew I had to, to pass that exam, and then that will allow me to come to the United States. So I did that. I, I, I studied hard. I took the exam. I passed the medical parts of the exam. I didn't pass the English part, even if the exam was in English. So I had to retake the, the English language part. So then after that, I was able to apply for residencies, etc. So that that's then is all a, a new chapter. Dr. Jacobello, did you have any interest in the United States aside from training with the American College of Ergonomy? I would say no. I, I, that's what it came across like. So that's amazing, you know? Yeah, I, I would say no, because, you know, as I told you at the beginning, my my political orientation was leftist, and, it, you know, from that point of view, the United States was seen as, you know, the, the capitalist world at its highest expression was the, was the enemy in some way. Wow. All right? So why would I... In any other way, I want to come back to the United States. So let me just make sure I have this clear. So you had to save up a bunch of money that you didn't have. You had to take a bunch of tests that weren't easy. And you had to go into enemy territory to pursue learning <laughs> about medical work. Although I think we, we should not, that's not, a, probably there was also another side that I, maybe I was not uh, that much aware of. Of it, or I would admit to myself, where well, there, there is the, the fascination of being American, see, uh -huh. and all the great things, right? Yeah. So I mean, that part was there too. But there was, was also <laughs> the other part. Would I, would I come to, to the United States if it were not for that? Probably no. I, I could have been going to England or, or France. Or, or Germany, or whatever, how, you know, the way many people do. You know, I, far from your, to, to go to the United States, that's far from your family. 
Ah, well, that was the, the other the other major obstacle. My parents were very unhappy now about this, especially my mother, who still now, after all these years, if when I called her, we get into the, this discussion, not in the sense of of uh, you know what what made me come here, but the discussion is more about. Uh, Whatever it's going on here with me and the problems. Let's say now you know, I have not been able to go to Italy for two years. So then it's with with travel restrictions currently. Yeah, right, right. So she she brings that up, you know, she says, Why did you have to go there? <laughs> you know, you didn't have to go to this to that country. So yeah, that was the major obstacle, you know, and that's yeah. In some ways, I mean, uh, I was dealing with it. It doesn't bother me when uh, the subject is not brought up, you know, was not brought up. But of course, when we talk about that, that's, I will have feelings about that. I see. So I'm really curious to hear when you finally did do all that hard work to get to the United States and you began therapy for yourself. How did it compare with your ideas about after reading Reich and this other scientific journal? Um, I'm so curious what that was like for you. Well, they, I think the, the initial reaction was great for me. I think I had a great response to, to the first sessions. I felt really relieved. and I could feel that this was something I, I never felt, that the, the sessions were really uh, moving a lot of emotions inside me. But the main thing was to be able to really let go of those emotions that who knows for how long they, they've been accumulating there and the frustration and, and the misery that had been going on. Did you have a sense of that when you were reading Reich and his work in terms of uh, the idea of becoming a medical ergonomist to help other people of, of your own feelings that, that have been locked away? Did you have a sense of that? I had the sense of that. I knew that, but at the same time, it, um, there were differences between what I thought or imagined <laughs> that could, could have been, you know, and what really it, it was like. Ah. Because I think my, my feeling was that the uh, would have been more similar to psychoanalysis. There would have been a, a more talking and the interpretations than, than what my experience has been, mostly focused more on feelings and getting in touch with your feelings. Mm. So there, there is that difference. But I don't think that I see that as a loss. Because actually, or the experience of therapy, for many respects, has been greater than I could ever imagine. Yes. So, you know, it's, I think it, that's, uh, I think it's something that we could really talk for, for some time to try you know, to look at the. Well, I think for years. <laughs> you know, and then what the actual experience is. Because I think in some way it cannot be helped when you read Reich, you know, as much 
you read it as well you read it uh, or how many times you read it. But I think it, it cannot be helped that you have some distortions. No, because you you really bring in it your all the your background knowledge, your ideas of the world, and I think it's it's easy to distort it, let's say in a mystical way. But also uh, the the mechanistic part can play a role. Yeah, because you see, I think I, I was very as as for science, I was very uh, mechanistically oriented in the sense that uh, I look at facts, experiments, and results. That's that was uh, my understanding of science. What science uh, needs to be. So then, in some way, when it, I face the psychiatry on one side and therapy on the other side where in some way I expected the ergonomy was going to be like that. Yeah. The way, you know, there was a clear path, you do you do this. You do X, Y, Z. Right, you do, the, you do this and you get this and that's why you do this. But then it, it wasn't like that, you know, so that's... I think that can take actually a longer time to be able to start to think in more, I will use the word functional terms, but also I will say to be able to think in a fluid, more plastic ways and see that, you know, things don't necessarily have to be measurable and quantifiable and hard data. Dr. Iacobella, do you remember any examples that came up when you first started to learn more about ergonomy and, and, and medical organ treatment? What, when you said that you had this sense of, you know, being a little bit mechanical, you do X, Y, Z, and then you have this effect. Were there any examples that stood out that then you started to realize that, uh, that was more functional, that it wasn't mechanical? I I cannot I cannot give you a specific uh, memory of this, but I I think I know in general I would realize that when I would I would hear colleagues or or teachers talking about things that I was expecting to be in a different way. You know, based on my knowledge, I would expect uh, I would obtain uh, some answer, but then uh, I would see that indeed. The answers I was getting were different, mm. so that's uh, know that uh, I would be I wouldn't be the the person who we say, oh why that is not like that it's supposed to be like this I wouldn't get into an argument about it but I would notice the difference and then uh, you'd make your own observations about the effect of uh, whatever you're doing, and then you know eventually incorporate things because I think that's one. Or my style of knowledge, I uh, with time I incorporate things, and even things that I may think uh, at this time they they are wrong, or they, whatever they, uh, they are, not, they don't make sense. Then I, I still uh, keep them, and then uh, through the time uh, I'm actually able to see the other side and they incorporate it, that kind yeah. of. Dr. Yakabella, if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like what you're saying is even with medical orgone therapy, 
some people can get a sense of this is what medical orgone therapy is, but therapy with you may be different than therapy with me because you are different than me and, and your way of connecting with patients may be different and there is not some black and white mechanical way to do therapy. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think that that's part of it too. It's part of, of it too and that leads to the other struggle in some way, one of the struggles that has been present, I think, uh, through my uh, professional career now has been the struggle of how to adjust my, my idea of what therapy should be like and how it should be done and what, uh, what really happens in reality. You know, and that's, I think, that that problem is complicated by the fact mostly that uh, because psychiatry has changed so much in the last 30 years in this country, and also therapy has changed so much and has lost the position it used to have in psychiatry. So I have faced that challenge. Are, are you referring to how, for instance, counselors, psychologists, social workers, psychiatrists are all doing therapy and they're not on the same page? Yeah, right. Or the, the way, you know, they, they are treating patients nowadays. So when I came in, uh, to the United States, the, the damage of psychotherapy was, uh, was starting. But I still had a training that was a psychodynamic. And I also had my experience on my own therapy. So I built my idea of how you, you work with patients and how you do therapy. But then I had to confront it with what was really happening in the field where prescribing medications had become the main tool psychiatrists would use. And that also was the main thing that the, the psychiatrists would be asked. So then I, I found here the, this challenge you know, now again, well, now I can do therapy, I'm a therapist, but now there is no interest in therapy. You know, psychiatry has moved into a different direction. So this challenge has been present throughout, is still present throughout my career. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, patients that this may happen to you too, they'll, they'll call assuming they need a medicine or thinking they need a change in their medicine and they may start working and they may realize then that therapy can be a benefit to them. But the reason they come to you as a psychiatrist is thinking they they need some kind of tweak or, or change in their medicine or a new one or so forth. Right, right. So Dr. Iacobello, it's clear how important Reich's work was to you and how hard you worked to get to the point of learning more about organomy and, and medical organ treatment and the work that you put in to be able to learn it yourself and then practice it. I was hoping to hear more. What is it that really resonated with you? How was it that uh, the work connected with you that drove you so strongly to, to get where you are today? There were two aspects that uh, struck me 
about the right work uh, enabled me to to work toward uh, pursuing becoming a therapist. I think the the first one was personal. I felt that uh, what uh, Reich was talking about and the, the cases uh, he was presenting in his books uh, resonated with me very much. I recognized those problems and those strivings in myself. And there was a fa the fact that uh, I still was a, an adolescent and uh, I was dealing with uh, a lot of inhibitions and fears. I was struggling toward being able to reach a love life and uh, to have a happiness in my personal life. And it was a very difficult time. I felt that the therapy could help me to overcome my blocks and my inhibitions and fears. And also I felt that that will help me to feel more and get in touch with my deeper feeling as well as uh, with nature and uh, with other people around me. Uh, with that, because of my general interest, I felt that uh, Reich work was uh, the only one that, uh, that I knew that could provide mankind a way out of the mess where we were, a way out of all the problems and the misery and the social conflict uh, that we were living. You know, I want to remember that earlier on I talked about my growing up in the socialist, communist movement in Italy. So, and while at the same time I was, I had been reading the work of Freud. So, I found myself uh, with the impact, uh, the difficult situation that. You know, if man was as, as sick as uh, described by Freud, there was no hope for mankind to achieve a society where uh, the, there is peace and there is uh, harmony for everybody. In fact, uh, uh, Freud's book, uh, the one uh, on the, I, I remember now the, how is uh, the English title of the book, I think is uh, Civilization and its Discontent was uh, a very pessimistic book because it didn't leave any hope to man to ever reach happiness. He, so uh, Reich work was uh, a solution in some way, because the main thing, Reich was, was able to solve the problem of masochism. We, with the work of masochism, Reich showed that masochism is not the result of a, a death instinct, but is the result of the suppression and perversion of natural impulses in, in men. So I felt that was such a great solution. It would give a, a great hope to mankind 
to achieve a state of harmony and happiness. And because I was very socially motivated, so that's pushed me to uh, to apply myself to be able to work toward that goals. Of course, personally, I hoped that uh, with the therapy, when I would have been able to to be in therapy, that would have helped me very much to to overcome my anxiety, my fears and my inhibitions, because I think that was what I mostly was dealing with. That's very moving to hear. It, it sounds like what I'm, what I'm hearing from you is there was part of you that was very much connected with nature and the people around you, but you were aware that there was something that was keeping you from feeling as connected or satisfied as you felt you could be, but also it, it seemed that you started to realize that politics wasn't the solution and there was some truth in what Freud was was saying, but there was it was incomplete and that that completion you found in Reich's work in, in the solution of, of how to handle things emotionally and how to how to solve emotions, the emotional problem of human beings and, and how they relate to each other socially. Yeah, I think that's uh, very well uh, summarized, uh, Dr. Barrett, because I, then I, I would see what people were like. You know, the misery and the, the dishonesty, the, the desire for power and control of the people, uh, the egoism. So I felt that Reich's work was pointing to a solution uh, for those problems. But also there was the experience of reading Reich's work and really feeling any deep feelings and feeling a deep contact uh, with, with nature and uh, with myself. Uh, because uh, I, I always have had the experience that learning uh, it's been a very stimulating experience for me and the experience of coming in contact with something uh, has made me f having good, good feelings. Even if uh, I was studying classical medicine, uh, learning was very stimu stimulating. So uh, I think all that must have given me the motivation and the strength to pursue what uh, uh, the study eventually of medical autonomy. Mm. And then, of course, I was very excited about uh, the concept of organ energy, this energy that was a mass-free energy that had the capacity to have uh, positive effects in the human organism, uh, the problem of uh, the biogenesis, uh, right work with the bions. All these were things I, I didn't have any great experience. I had just to go with, with what I was reading, but I found it very exciting. It, it really is amazing, and and if 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 one has any curiosity about the world and nature, you know it's almost impossible not to have a reaction to Reich's work and discussing the bions and biogenesis. 
Yeah, I I agree with that. It's uh, it's very stimulating, and uh, I always uh, when I read Reich, I always wonder why people uh, cannot see this, why people would be interested to to know more. Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Jacobello. Welcome, Dr. Barrett. And I really want to thank you for giving me this opportunity and you know, to, to make this happen. How do you feel after listening to Dr. Jacobello's journey? What do you think? I was impressed with his determination to follow the path that resonated with him despite the many obstacles in his way, and I feel fortunate to have him as a colleague and a mentor. Have you read any of Wilhelm Reich's many books? The Function of the Orgasm? The Mass Psychology of Fascism? The Murder of Christ? We are interested in your questions and comments, and I would love to hear your feedback. Send an email to aco at orgonomy.org. Stay tuned for our next episode, and we'd love to have you join us for one of our webinars. The best way to help the ACO spread its knowledge is by letting others know about us. I hope you share this podcast with your friends and family and let them know about our work. You can connect with us at orgonomy.org or adifferentkindofpsychiatry.com. I'm Dr. Chris Burrett. Thank you for listening to the A Different Kind of Psychiatry podcast with the ACO. Since 1968, the psychiatrists affiliated with the American College of Organomy have been helping patients discover greater satisfaction, health, and overall well-being in their lives. Whether patients suffer with mental illness, struggle with addiction, or feel unsatisfied with their work lives or relationships, medical organ therapy as practiced by the physicians at the ACO offers a way forward often without the use of medication.